Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Where do you go for crystal clear explanations of major archaeological discoveries that deal with the Bible? You go to Expedition Bible on YouTube where Joel Kramer is the archaeologist who puts together these great videos. There's about 40 or so of them right there on the YouTube channel. He's also written a book called Where God Came Down, The Archaeological Evidence. And for those of you that have listened to this program for a while, he's colleagues with Titus Kennedy, Dr. Titus Kennedy, who is an archaeologist as well. Now, Joel is over there in the Middle East. He's been living for decades in the Middle East, 10 years in Jerusalem. Also, he's been in Amman, Jordan for quite a while, where he is now. And we just had him on the main podcast on the American Family Radio Network. And we talked a lot about Old Testament discoveries. In this podcast, we're going to talk about New Testament. But before we get to the new, Joel, I want to just close our discussion on child sacrifice. We were talking about that uh, with regard to Gezer. And you point out in your video on Gezer that Kathleen Kenyon, who was the archaeologist in Jericho, actually admitted that child sacrifice was going on in Jericho as well. Um, what relationship did Gezer and and uh, and Jericho have? Were they the same kind of people in both those places? Yeah, they were both uh, Amorite uh, sites, Amorites being uh, the most powerful of the Canaanite tribes. And so, uh, and so, yeah, she was digging Jericho in the 1950s, and um, this was still during the time that um, this evidence of child sacrifice was still being interpreted uh, as child sacrifice. And so um, it wasn't until after her dig uh, was done and in, in, into the 1960s that it then became politically incorrect to, uh, to interpret uh, this kind of evidence using the Bible, because the Bible is the, the where we have the most information describing um, from an ancient source uh, this practice. And so in the 1960s, it became politically incorrect, but she was digging Jericho before that. So when she found sacrificed babies, that, as she describes, uh, she knew were sacrificed because they had their heads severed off of their bodies. Um, then she reported that as as child sacrifice, and this was this was going on in the excavations all over uh, the the ancient land of Canaan um, in this interpretation. And uh, now you're taught the opposite. You're taught that there is no archaeological evidence at all for child <laughs> sacrifice. And so, uh, yeah, so you just really have to be careful with the interpretations that you get because the field is so secular. Um, you know, the field of biblical archaeology, it sounds so positive. It sounds uh, like it would be, um, you know, so positive towards the biblical record, but actually um, it would be, it would be 
much better understood and 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 put into context if it was called these days um, anti-biblical archaeology because that's mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. most of it is at best uh, they'd ignore the Bible uh, but oftentimes they're very critical of the Bible and um, and so that wasn't the case in the early days um, you know it, Kenyon was very critical of the Bible but she knew that Jericho was Jericho. And how did she know that it was Jericho? Well, the Bible is what tells us that that site is Jericho. And then she still uh, understood these practices that are described in the Bible. Now, as Americans and uh, Westerners, we recoil at this suggestion that child sacrifice really took place. Well, it's not just a suggestion. We have the, the evidence. Yet we're doing it here. Yeah. I mean, we've been killing babies in the womb for decades and we just call it a choice. They uh, they actually sacrificed their children for some sort of payoff from the gods. Why did they do it, Joel? Yeah, I mean it's 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 for their um, their blessing. You know, they believe that um, it, it's kind of like a tithe. You tithe, uh, you know, the first of your income and 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 expect a blessing in return. And they they tithe their children to this. Uh, to this type of sacrifice, believing that the God that they were feeding, because it, it, it was, they were feeding their children to the God in, in mm. their belief system, was then going to bless them. And, and yeah, absolutely, uh, you know, the, the humbling thing about understanding the Canaanites and, and that practice is that we cannot, as you said, as Americans stand on a Canaanite site where this where this evidence was found and condemn uh, the Canaanites for this practice when we are as, as a nation guilty of it in modern times. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, but, but, you know, it's not necessarily popular to talk about that kind of thing, but it, it is a lot of evidence has to do with human nature. (laughs) And, Mm. uh, well, yeah. There's one thing you mentioned in your Gezer video, and friends, you need to go to Expedition Bible to see this. Uh, you point out that it's a worldview issue. Yes. That when McAllister did his report back in about 1900 or so on this site, Gezer, uh, which, by the way, where, where is Gezer, Joel, in Israel? It is. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so when you're coming down Highway One from uh, uh-huh. Jerusalem out to the coast, out to Jaffa and Tel Aviv, yeah. it's it's just off to the left hand side. Um, when you're when you're so out be- onto the when you're starting to get out to the coastal plain. So it's between, say, Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Yeah. Okay. So when McAllister, you point out when McAllister put this out. He had a section in his report report called "The Iniquity of the Amorite," yeah, which is pretty much a quote from Genesis fifteen four, I believe. Correct. Where where <laughs> it says the uh, God says the iniquity of the Amorites is not is not complete. I'm not going to wipe them out yet. I'm going to wait four hundred years and then wipe them out. Uh, what is the difference in worldview that? seem to have switched from, say, the 1950s to the 1960s? Well, I, I wouldn't say it's from the 1950s to the 1960s in, in, in regard to 
that's when the inter- biblical interpretation came to an end. But um, but yeah, it's it's a much broader scope of time. When you look back in the early days of uh, biblical archaeologists, where you have explorers coming into the land of the Bible and have them digging in all these different places, what was driving them? Uh, the Bible was driving them. Um, mm. That's how they knew these places existed in the first place. If if you you have sites all over the place that aren't excavated, why aren't they excavated? Because they're not in the Bible, and so why go through the blood, sweat, and tears of digging a site if it's not in the Bible? And so, biblical archaeology in the early days was absolutely biblical was was Bible driven and Bible inspired, and um, and things were dug up and interpreted using the Bible. And then what happened is. The field over time became uh, more and more secular, and uh, and so this this secular worldview uh, is now the one that dominates the field. Um, a, a biblical worldview is very very rare uh, in the field today. It's the extreme minority, and uh, and so this uh, and, and and so it's like take Jericho we were talking about Jericho earlier but if you just take that so if you're if you're looking at Jericho as, from a secular worldview then of course you don't believe in God you don't believe in the supernatural and you don't believe in miracles so when you have a collapsed city wall there of course you're not going to interpret uh the city wall as as coming tumbling down because uh, of the time timing of God as a miracle you know um and so Whereas you're coming from the biblical worldview, well, of course, God knocked the wall down in Jericho. We're not wondering if he did that or not. We're just wondering if in the excavations, whether you can find evidence from that. And so when we find a collapsed city wall, we, we say, oh, look, here's the wall that God knocked down. And when they see a collapsed city wall, they say, well, this has nothing to do with the biblical account because that's mythology, because we don't believe in in the supernatural or miracles. And so it really is a clash of worldviews and, uh, and the worldview that dominates the field now is a godless one. And, um, and, and so all of, so much of the Bible is God and his relationship with man and miracles and the supernatural that, uh, there's not much left, (laughs) You know, and yeah, and the and the worldview, as you point out as well in the Gezer video at the time, was uh, well, man is inherently evil. Now we think man is inherently good, and he would never sacrifice his children, even though we're doing so right now, ladies and gentlemen, and exactly. we're calling it a right. You know, it's just madness. Yeah, these people can't see the the, the evil in their own hearts and our all of our hearts. That's why we need a savior, by the way. Yeah, when you're digging, when you're digging into a mound, into archaeology, what are you digging into? You're digging into the evidence of the problem of sin and death. Mm. You, you got, you know, it's just like when you go to a graveyard and you see all these uh, graves of people. Well, that's what a tell is. That's what these ancient mounds are. They are the graveyards. They're the graves of cities. You know, not just one city, but cities stacked one on top of each other, and so. Um, I, you know, I can't think of much else to study and to get into than archaeology uh, as far as being, uh, if you're from a secular worldview, that would be really depressing. I always tell the people that I dig with, you know, hey, we're just the next layer going into the tell, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's, right. that's just what's happening. <laughs> and so uh, if you don't have hope, because hope is um, absolutely connected to having a future, 
um, uh, beyond the grave, then uh, then it's just a hopeless field and pretty depressing. Um, but well, let's 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 talk about hope, and we've talked a lot about the Old Testament. Let's talk about the hope that we get from Jesus. What evidence do we have, Joel? Uh, archaeologically related to Jesus. We can go in several different directions here. Uh, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with uh, the Caiaphas ossuary, uh, the, the the James ossuary, or something different? What do you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, the, the best place to start is with the big picture. Um, okay. You know, we we hear all the time <clears throat> the the argument that there there's no archaeological evidence for Jesus or that there's so little archaeological evidence for Jesus. And you you hear this over and over again, and it affects your thinking to where you start, maybe start thinking, oh, well, there isn't very much archaeological evidence for Jesus. Um, in reality, though, it, it, it really is the opposite of that. There's actually a, a, a ton of uh, archaeological evidence for Jesus. And so um, pretty much the events that uh, the major events that we read about in the New Testament are um, are marked by early Christians. Um, and so we have churches marking all these places. And um, and so, you know, just thinking about that, why is that the case? Uh, and the answer is this is it's 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 Christians who cared and who valued these places where these, at least in their belief system, the most uh, important events in human history took place. And so uh, the concept of, um, you know, these churches being built, they go back much earlier than that, the, the commemoration of these sites. It's just that they weren't allowed to build commemorative buildings over these sites until after the Roman persecution against Christians had come to an end when uh, Constantine came to power. So these sites were known, they were being visited. We have records of them being visited, um, but they the just churches weren't built over them until uh, Constantine, after Constantine came to power. And so these places are marked um, now, you know, with a church there, that's a good starting point, but you can further test them. Does this site that is marked by a church that we have uh, uh, historical sources commemorate this uh, particular event? Do we have uh, the archaeology? Well, let me, let me give you an example. Mm -hmm. I did a video on this. Um, J Jacob's Well. Let's use Jacob's Well as an example. Okay. In Shechem. In Shechem. Yeah. So it's right next to uh, the Tell of Shechem. And so, uh, and so what we have there is we have, in the Old Testament, we have a description of um, land that was purchased in Shechem by Jacob, that he set up his camp there, that he built an altar there. And, um, and so then we have uh, that described. And so then we go all the way to the New Testament. And we have in John chapter four, where uh, where the Samaritan woman is sitting at the well with Jesus, and they're having this conversation. Okay, and uh, the Samaritan woman says to him, uh, "Are you greater than uh, our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as as did his sons?" Okay, so there you have um, eighteen to nineteen centuries have passed from the time that Jacob bought this land and, and camped there to the time that the Samaritan woman 
is talking to Jesus. And so you have, uh, now how did the Samaritan woman know that this well was Jacob's well? Well, her people knew that. The locals knew that. It was local knowledge that had been passed down from generation to generation. And so, uh, and so then, then you have, when Constantine comes to power, you have a church that's built over the top of Jacob's well, commemorating this as the place that the Samaritan woman uh, had this conversation with Jesus. And then that church is destroyed and rebuilt over and over again until you have a modern church that's sitting over this well now. So then when you look at this archaeologically and historically, how do we know that this is an authentic site? Well, we can we can go back through the archaeology from the modern church to the Crusader church to the Byzantine church to an earlier Byzantine church back to the well itself, which dates all the way back to uh, the time of Jacob, okay, or, or back to Old Testament times because of the design of the um, of the well. It also matches the biblical description. For example, it says, um, that it was in the area that um, of Shechem, and it's right next to Shechem. It says that the well was deep, and it was measured. It's it's 151 feet deep, and uh, and so it matches with the biblical description. It matches to the description in the New Testament of how far Jesus had traveled from Jerusalem. It matches uh, in the Old Testament as far as the land. It makes sense that Jacob would have, if he was camping somewhere with his huge flocks, that he would need a well. So that uh, and, and that's what somebody living in a tent could leave behind that would last for thousands of years. And so, and then we see that the knowledge of this being Jacob's well is preserved in the New Testament and and matches the descriptions that we have in the Old Testament. So, so there's no reason to go looking for another well somewhere else when mm-hmm. you have all this commemoration and all these historical sources describing the one that has been believed to be Jacob's well for literally thousands of years. And so that's just one example of how we have preserved through the local knowledge. It's it's not that you get to the Byzantine church and then that's the end of the story. You can go back beyond the um, Byzantine church, both in the archaeology and the historical sources. And so you have this same kind of phenomenon over and over and over again. You don't have uh, the different places that the events of Jesus uh, uh, took place, you don't have a whole bunch of different things going on at these different places. You have the same phenomenon happening again and again and again. And so like in Jerusalem, for example, where Jesus was crucified, buried and rose from the dead, the key is you have Christians living in Jerusalem from the time of those events until today virtually unbroken except for one tiny um, short period of time exception um, where the Christians left Jerusalem at the time of the AD 70 Roman destruction. But then after that destruction, they came back to the ruins of uh, Jerusalem and lived there again. And so they're not going to forget where Jesus rose from the dead, where Jesus uh, paid for the sins of mankind on the cross. And they're, and they're going to, when they get the chance, commemorate that. And the ones who are the enemies of Christianity are going to desecrate those spots. And, and, and so you have this stack of archaeology and you have historical sources pointing to these. Um, and they're very, very credible. And they're very solid 
either we got to say, well, the whole thing is not reliable or the whole thing, uh, it, it, there's reasons to believe that it is reliable. We're talking to Joel Kramer. You can see much of what he's been saying here on his YouTube channel, Expedition Bible. Uh, he has got about 40 or so videos. Joel, you're putting about one one out a month or so, I noticed. Is that about right? Yeah. It takes a lot of effort to pull all this stuff together, all the footage, all the research, all the uh, editing you need to do. Um, let's talk for just a second about the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, because when you go to Jerusalem, <clears throat> everybody wants it to be the garden tomb because it's much more peaceful yeah. and it's not ordained with, uh, or there's not all sorts of... Uh, of uh, buildings built over it. You know, you think, oh, this is a peaceful place. This is where Jesus rose from the dead. But the archaeology actually supports Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Can you give us some of that archaeology? Why do we think it's there? Yeah, the same the same thing that we were just talking about. We have a stack mm -hmm. of archaeological remains, one thing on top of another that marks uh, the place that has been attributed to the place of resurrection for uh, the past 2,000 years. So if you, if you go through the archaeology starting at the top, then you have the church that's standing there today. You have the Crusader Church that was before that. You have uh, several phases of Byzantine churches that were built and destroyed and rebuilt. And then uh, you get down below that, we have the archaeological remains from the temple that Hadrian built on that site. And think about that. He this is one AD one thirty, so we're talking about less than a hundred years after the resurrection, crucifixion, and resurrection, and uh, the, and when Hadrian comes in one thirty AD, then uh, Jerusalem is laying in ruins, and so he's he decides to build this pagan Roman city um, over the ruins of Jerusalem, and so he's going to pick his number one temple spot because the rest of the, the Roman city is going to be laid out around that spot. And he chooses a place, to, he chooses of all the places of Jerusalem, he builds it right over the top of a, a first century tomb. Uh, why does he do that? Because that's where the, the Christians are coming to worship at that time. And so he's trying to supplant that worship with uh, the worship uh, that he sets up with Jupiter and, uh, and Venus. So you have uh, the archaeological remains uh, from that temple that was built over that, and um, and then you go all the way back to the tomb itself, which uh, which you have archaeological remains of another tomb right next to it that shows that this is a first century cemetery outside of the walls, therefore of of uh, the city at the time of Jesus, and then um, and then you have the tomb that was that was first uncovered back in uh, around AD 324 after Constantine had come to power. One of the first things he did was he gave a command, you know, go rip down that temple, which by the way, that Hadrian temple was still the main functioning temple of, of Jerusalem at that time called Aelia Capitolina at that time. Go rip that down. 200 years after he built it. 200 years after he built it. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Yep. Yeah. So go rip that down. Uh -huh. And dig a hole. It took them two years to do that. And uh, and what did they find at the bottom of the hole? They found a tomb dating to the first century, um, meaning that we know a first century tomb is very specific 
to a time period between uh, 37 BC when Herod the Great starts his reign and up to the 70 AD destruction because they, they made tombs very specifically in that time because of the practice of burying people in ossuaries, these stone bone mm. boxes. And so this is that type of tomb that was right under this temple that they they dug this hole. Now, how did they know where to dig a hole in order to find the tomb of Jesus? And the answer, again, is everybody knew. Everybody knew where the tomb of Jesus was because it had been desecrated by the building of Hadrian's temple. And so there was a statue, as we have eyewitnesses' accounts, of, uh, of the statue of Jupiter that stood over the buried tomb. And so, um, you know, it's... People don't forget. They they're not going to forget an event like this. You know, I mean, one example we could talk about for America is: Are are New Yorkers going to forget what happened with the Twin Towers? Mm. You know, uh, it's been what over twenty years now since that um, tragedy happened. Um, are they going to forget? Have they forgotten in twenty years? Are they going to forget in thirty more years? Are they going to forget in a hundred more years? Here's the thing, as long as there are Americans in America and New Yorkers in New York, they are not going to forget um, what happened there and where it happened. Now, if you go to the site and look at it, it doesn't look like Twin Towers anymore. And uh, it's been dramatically altered from what it looked like before. But um, and, and that's exactly the case at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. It's not, as you pointed out, what we picture in our minds. But it's it's a place of <laughs> it's a crazy place. It's a place of chaos often, and people are turned off by that. But um, but my goodness, I mean the history and the historical sources that point out these layers, and then the archaeological layers themselves are fabulous. And 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 the other way to think of it is this: when when we have uh, ancient texts, right, and you have uh, you have different texts that that give contradiction contradictory uh, information and you want to know which one of those texts should we consider to be the more reliable then the general rule of thumb is that the one that is earlier is to be considered the more reliable and the the later one is thrown out and that's the way that uh, it goes with these uh, these New Testament sites as well um, if you have the garden tomb uh, which is saying this is the tomb of Jesus, and you have the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, as it's called today, tomb. Then you look at both of them and you say, which one is older? Which one goes back further um, archaeologically, and which one goes back further as far as the um, historical uh, documents that that specifically say this is the tomb of Jesus? And uh, there's no competition. There, the you know, garden tomb is uh, late 1800s, and um, and these sources go way, way back for the um, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And in fact, the archaeology goes all the way back to the time of the event because you can go all the way back to the tomb itself. Now, you also have a video on where you think the trial of Jesus took place. Yeah. Where do you think that is and what kind of archaeology do you have for it? Briefly, I know you can't get into all the sure. details. Sure, yeah. Well, the, the, the place where... Um, where Jesus was tried, we were told in the New Testament that um, that it was associated with Herod the Great's uh, palace. That Herod the Great had built his palace in Jerusalem, and then um, that's the place that Pontius Pilate. We have other sources outside of the New Testament that 
that say that that's where Pontius Pilate was connected to that palace. That's where he's going to stay when he's in Jerusalem. He's going to stay at the big palace that Herod the Great built. Um, and then we also have uh, Simon of Cyrene coming in from the open country who takes uh, Jesus's cross. And we have all these indicators, you know, that that the that the trial of Jesus, um, that where he was turned over to be crucified, happened at the Praetorium, which is the um, the palace. If if they were talking about another palace in um, in Jerusalem, then it's identified, uh, you know, whether it's the Bible or whether it's uh, Josephus, it's identified as this other palace. But if it's the palace, it's talking about the main palace of Herod the Great. So, uh, and then they were coming out of the palace grounds in order to bring Jesus out and bring him back in. And, and this trial is very descriptive in the book of John, um, you know, about bringing him in and out. And where a stone pavement is described, a judgment seat that Pilate sits on to give his judgment is described. And then um, and then what happens is in the AD 70 destruction, um, the wall is destroyed and there's a massive destruction in this area where that covers up this site then. So this site is mm. buried um, under the AD 70 destruction until... It's excavated um, in the 1970s. My my uh, professor Shimon Gibson was part of that excavation. He was uh, he was on staff for that excavation, even though he was a teenager and looked like a member of Led Zeppelin. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but anyways, he was on that, and they were using trying to build a stairway to heaven right there. Yeah, that's right. And, and he describes how they they were looking for the stone plat platform. They were using uh, the Gospel of John's description for what they were looking for. They excavated that entire western side of uh, the city, old city wall, and um, and they found one gate uh, that led outside of Herod the Great's palace. And you would want, if you're Herod the Great, you know, he wasn't the most popular guy, right, with his Jewish subjects, you would want an escape route out of your palace um, that led out to the open country. This is that gate. There was only one. We know that uh, from archaeology because they excavated the whole side there and only found one gate. And then it matches the description in uh in john wonderfully because you have a stone pavement there you have a judgment seat the remains of a judgment seat that were found there and um you have the barracks that are inside uh some evidence for that has come up recently and then the palace itself has been excavated in the past and uh, the destruction there was massive in the ad 70 destruction but you have um evidence from all all of these uh these places so so it's, uh, and it was of the archaeologists that dug it, the Israeli archaeologists that dug it, um, this was their interpretation. This was Shimon Gibson's interpretation of this now, site. Now, where is it, Joel? Is it you come out of the Jaffa Gate and turn left? Yeah, you turn left and you go along that western, uh, western old city wall and follow it back there. There's, you know, that where you cut that corner to go up the stairs and uh, and over to Zion Gate. It's before you arrive there, and it's just off uh -huh. to your left there. There's a sign there that was uh, that there's a drawing on it that is done by Shimon Gibson of the stone pavement. And for years, uh, that's what I did with Shimon is I worked on the pottery and the other finds that came from that dig. 
um, from the 1970s that it was never published, which is one of the problems in archaeology and, and with this particular site is that it's never been published. So I used to go for years, I would go into the abandoned building there, the Armenian Museum is what it used to be, and I'd go in with fellow students and we'd go in and we'd get these huge bags that um that are from that excavation back in the 70s and pour them out and then separate out the pottery and the other finds from the excavation of that site and and that excavation on the wall so i'm very familiar with the material and um again it's not my interpretation it's uh the interpretation of the archaeologists that excavated it but um i certainly agree with it so is it the case that the walls that we see now in the old city of Jerusalem were built, say, in about 1500 A.D. Am I right about that, Joel? Yeah, but they oh. were they were built over and over and over again. So where you see this, uh, where you see this um, stone pavement, you have a patch yeah. there of of wall that dates back to the Herodian time period. Okay, so. One of the reasons, other than it hasn't been published, that this is not a popular site where people go and go, oh, this is the pavement where Jesus was tried, is it It seems like it's it's like part of the wall almost of the city, right? Or it's, yeah. it's some of it's outside the wall of the old city. And when in the first century, the wall wasn't exactly there, was it? Or was it? No, there was a wall there and you have that patch preserved but the gate went through that wall so you have steps okay. that are preserved also there that go into the old city wall of today which of course as you pointed out is much later so it looks uh -huh. like the steps lead into a wall which they do today but of course there was an opening there in the much earlier wall of which a patch is preserved and so there was a gate there that led through the wall uh, at that time and then there was a raised up area uh, a bima off to the side, the judgment seat, and um, and then the stone pavements. Now, when you go there and you look for the stone pavements, you there's only a few of the stone pavements that are still in situ, still in their original place, because archaeology is also destructive. And so when, when they uh, expose that stone pavement floor, then the first thing that you do in archaeology is you rip up a floor to look underneath it because it's the coins and various things that you find underneath the floor that date the construction of that floor. And so that was done in this area. And so that's the hard thing about archaeology is things don't tend to look like they did. Well, they don't look like they did in ancient times, but they don't also even look oftentimes like they did back when they were excavated. So... This is has never been published. Uh, it's been, has anyone written about it on like like unofficially? Even though the the excavation report has never been done, have you written about it? Has anyone written about it? Uh, uh, Shimon Gibson has written a book that it's in. Yes, uh, his okay. book is called "The Final Days of Jesus." Uh, I think the subtitle is is the archaeological evidence or something like that. But um, "The Final Days of Jesus" by uh, Doctor Shimon Gibson. Um, he he covers uh, the excavations and the interpretation of the finds in there. So, but he's not a Christian, is he? No, he, he yeah, no. And yet, so he's the one claiming this is the location where Jesus was tried. Exactly, yeah. And he's not a Christian, and hardly anybody knows about this. Yeah, it wasn't a it was, we mentioned it wasn't a Christian but, excavation. It was an Israeli right. excavation that exposed uh -huh. it. Yes, and so. 
we mentioned in the previous podcast, and friends, if you're listening to this now and you haven't listened to the podcast we did last week, you need to go back and listen to it. But we, we talked about the fact that maybe 1% of the Holy Land has been excavated, but n- this, the areas that have been excavated, not all of them have been written up. And here is one example of it. Is that something that you can do, Joel? Can you write this up? Yeah, or I'm, is, I'm working on a second book. Um, I've had okay. trouble getting to my second book writing because of starting the YouTube channel and it's been taking so right. much of my time. But um, but yeah, I, that site is in the second book that I'm that I'm writing. Yes. What about inscriptions regarding G- Jesus? You have a video on the YouTube channel. Again, it's called Expedition Bible, ladies and gentlemen, where you talk about an ex or you talk about a inscription in Jerusalem out in a field somewhere related to Jesus. Can you mention that briefly? Yeah, it's at a a site called uh, Beit Loya, and it's it's about 20, 20 to twenty two miles southwest of Jerusalem in the in the foothill region and um this is uh this is a cave there's several caves there where you have um you have the evidence that they these caves were being used as churches they were underground churches so uh they're they're dated before uh the time of constantine when churches and christian worship could then mm. come above ground. And so in one of these caves you have uh an inscription in Greek that um that says that's translated Jesus is present. And uh, then it's got a very crude cross next to it. It's also got another uh, more sophisticated cross underneath it. But um, and so this this inscription has been dated. They don't know exactly when it dates, but um, but it's it's considered one of two of the earliest inscriptions mentioning Jesus, the other one being uh the the one that was found at the Megiddo prison uh, inscription, which says uh, to the which was dedicated to the God uh, Christ, and um, anyways, so it, they're putting it at the third, like the end of the third, maybe even into the second century uh, A.D. So you're talking late 100s, early 200s. Yes. This inscription, and you're saying there's an inscription of Jesus in Megiddo. Yeah, uh, at the Megiddo prison, um, when you're when you're, you know that big uh, cross uh, where the roads cross each other there, the intersection, uh-huh. and then there's a uh-huh. prison up there. So so if you're if you're coming from the direction of Jerusalem uh, towards Nazareth, then uh, at that crossroad, then the the prison is off on your right, and then you would turn left to go over to Megiddo to the Tell. And so in that um, in that prison, they were they had decided to expand the prison. And in so doing, they came across a mosaic floor with an inscription uh, of Jesus on that floor. And uh, it it also is uh, is dated before the time of Constantine and uh, to the God, to the God, Jesus. Um, So it, Hmm. it also is evidence from these uh, arguments that you sometimes hear these that are baseless, but they, they claim that Christians didn't believe that Jesus claimed to be God or didn't believe that he was God until later in, in history. Um, and this is evidence that, uh, that refutes that because it's dedicated to the God Jesus. What kind of inscriptions have been found in Peter's house in Capernaum? 
Yeah, same thing. Like graffiti, um, th- those have been found in in several places. It's it's uh, when you have a commemorative site, then you you often have evidence in these graf- this graffiti that um, that shows that it's not just uh, that it's Christians who are uh, worshiping in this place. So you'll have um, you'll have crosses and you'll have uh, you know all kinds of things like that. And so it's the same thing, you know, Capernaum is, is another example of this one thing on top of another. Think about it. I mean, I know you've been there many, many times. So you look at Capernaum, right? All Capernaum is, is a fishing village on the north side mm-hmm. of, of the Sea of Galilee. It's made out of basalt rock. And so if you look down on that city that's been excavated, then you see all those houses, right? All those houses, and then you ask yourself the question, well, which one do we think Jesus might have lived in? Well, that would be the one with the giant flying saucer church built over the top of it, right? <laughs> the Millennium Falcon, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Built over it with the glass floor, yeah. <laughs> and so that's the one, that's the house out of all those other houses that all look the same. One house has this stack of archaeology that it was turned into this type of a church and an octagonal church after that. It was a house church and an octagonal church and and all these different churches up until the modern church that stands over it today. And so you know which house Jesus lived in because of the stack of archaeology that says it's this one. And, uh, and then you have pilgrims who are visiting that, that are writing about visiting it. And, and so, you, again, you have the same phenomenon. How do you know which tomb Jesus rose from the dead in? Is the one with the stack of archaeology? How do you know which uh, cave, you know, uh, Jesus was born in? It's the one with the stack of archaeology over the top of it. And uh, it's just over and over and over again. And so people don't forget. And they um, and they commemorate these places. Sometimes an enemy comes in and wants to supplant that worship with their own worship. So they take over the site and put their own worship place up. And then oftentimes um, the previous worshipers take back over the site at some point and start building their worship places. And so you have these places uh that are incredibly marked. So for me, if I'm if I'm looking at a site and asking the question if it's authentic. I'm looking for that stack of archaeology. If it doesn't have a stack of archaeology, then um, then that's far more suspicious than if it does. But there might be a reason uh, that it doesn't mm-hmm. as well. Uh, last thing before we wrap up, Joel, I've been told, and I, I know a few of these, but not all of them, that several of the figures in the trial of Jesus have been discovered archaeologically. Uh, Pilate, uh, Jesus himself, of course, Caiaphas. Can you relate any of those figures to us and what, what has been discovered yeah. regarding them? It's kind of, uh, you know, in the Israel Museum, when you're going down that kind of uh, Jesus Hall of Fame uh, mm-hmm. portion there. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, you have um, you have the Caiaphas ossuary, which was found in the vicinity of Jerusalem. Uh, and, you know, all the just, d- just d- describe an ossuary to our listeners. An ossuary so is a limestone about a, a limestone bone box. So a body uh, was placed, you know, in a tomb and then uh, allowed to deteriorate for about a year, and then the family members would come in after about a year and collect the bones of the deceased and put them in a in an ossuary in in the limestone bone box. Of course, this is how wealthy people were buried, not how mm-hmm. you know 
peasants always get buried in every culture the same way, right? Uh, but anyways, so uh, there's a very um, ornamented uh, ossuary that has the bones of a 60-year-old man in it and that has uh, Caiaphas uh, written on the side of the bone box. And so, you know, and then we're told by Josephus that uh, that the high priest's name was Joseph and that his nickname was Caiaphas. And so, uh, and so we have every Israeli archaeologist that I know uh, believes that that's the Caiaphas that's talked about in the New Testament. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, then you have um, the tomb of, uh, you have the tomb of Annas down the, down lower in the Hinnom Valley as well. Um, you have Pontius Pilate that was found, um, the inscription that was found in Caesarea. You have, mm-hmm. uh, you have the um, bones of the crucified man. Um, not mm-hmm. only the ankle bone, which that's that's uh, the one on display in the Israel Museum, is is a replica. The real one is down in um, Tel Aviv in the University of Tel Aviv. I've seen it uh, myself. And not only is there the that crucified man, but there's the remains of another crucified man that that was uh, put on a cross through his uh, through being nailed through his hand through his wrist. And so. Um, so you have all this archaeological evidence, but then also at the end of that row, if you, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but uh, that whole row in the Israel Museum ends in the ossuaries that are on display from what's called the Talpiot tomb. Um, and this is where, you know, they claim that they found the bones of Jesus in this tomb uh, in, mm-hmm. in Jerusalem. And it is not a coincidence. It's not just by, you know, chance that they put those ossuaries at the end of the Jesus row, Hall of Fame, you know, evidence row. Um, they're trying to discredit Christianity by putting those there. And um, and so I've been involved in this fiasco for 17 years or more and um why did they say the bones of jesus what what do you mean that they found uh they found an ossuary with with jesus on this i know there's there's the james ossuary which says james brother of jesus these are different i I did a i did a rebuttal of this you know it's on my youtube channel um uh and so they excavated and they found and excavated in 1981 a tomb in the um in the Jerusalem neighborhood called Talpiot. And, uh, and so my professor, Shimon Gibson was the first one into that tomb. And, uh, he's the one that recorded the ossuaries in that tomb and whatnot. And I know, uh, the other archeologist that was involved in that, but it was, and, and they found, uh, one of the, uh, one of the ossuaries had an inscription on it that may say, um, uh, Jesus, son of Joseph. Um, mm. So what? They have three other ossuaries from other tombs that say that too, because there was such a small pool of of names, you know, in, in that first century. If you were in a room full of first century Jews in Jerusalem and you said, hey, Joseph, then a bunch of them would turn around. If you said, hey, Jesus, you know, which is from the Greek of Joshua, then they would, a bunch of them would turn around. So uh-huh, it's not uh-huh. unusual to have, even if it does, it's not clear that that's what it says, but even if it does, it's it's not a big deal. They didn't make a big deal out of it. They didn't say anything about it. Um because it was just normal names and everything like that. But it was later that a filmmaker came along 
Yeah, James Cameron, the guy that did Titanic yeah. and uh, Avatar. He came along and tried to popularize it in a Discovery Channel, uh, I think, so-called documentary in about 2006. It's coming back to me now. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah, and Simka Jakubovici. Yeah. And uh, and so then they made yeah. that into uh, now an academic um, issue. So now it's it's in academia. Of course it is, because uh, you know if you if you claim that um, you got the bones of Jesus, then then you're not going to you know not take advantage of that. And so the whole thing is mm -hmm. bogus. And I did a whole rebuttal on it and um, and whatnot. But it's uh, like these criticisms and arguments so often are. It's completely baseless and ridiculous and all those kinds of things. But um, but who I interviewed in in my film were the Israeli archaeologists themselves that uh, that ex excavated it and um, who think the whole thing is you know ridiculous um, as Israeli archaeologists, not as Christian archaeologists. Anyways, and this is why I think this is a good thing to end on on why it's important to to you know it's not critical you're you're not going to spend eternity apart from god because you don't know where this particular site is or you got it wrong or something like that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's it's important because if you make up another site that isn't the real site then what you do is uh you you dislodge from the evidence um where that site is and and i think a good uh reason why it's so critical for the tomb of jesus is that there's three proposed tombs of Jesus. There's the one that is today the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There is the garden tomb uh, where many of the Protestants go. And now there's this Talpiot tomb where uh, where they're claiming the bones of Jesus were found. So in order to refute the, the false claims at this false tomb, <laughs> um, you really want to use the evidence that comes from the real uh, true tomb of Jesus and uh, and you don't want to try to battle it with uh, a dislodged, um, you know, tomb that that makes us feel good when we're there, you know, singing and the birds are singing and it's it's a mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. it's nice and peaceful. But um, you want to you want to refute uh, that very serious criticism, which goes all the way back to the New Testament, because uh, the claim is right there in the New Testament that they're arguing that the body of Jesus was stolen away rather than the resurrection happening. That was the lie back then. That lie continues to this day. And what they're saying is, here's the archaeological evidence that that happened over at this tomb. And so you really want to know <laughs> where the tomb of Jesus really is and what the evidence is and uh, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, there is an early Jewish source, ladies and gentlemen, that corroborates what Matthew says, that the Jews were saying that the disciples came and stole the body. Well, why would you come up with a theory that G that the disciples stole the body? Why would the Jews come up with that if Jesus's tomb was known and he was still in it? And then <laughs> right? why would you, have you to come up with why it? would you put him yeah. in a, an ossuary and then put his name on on the side of the ossuary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That doesn't make any sense at all. Well, Joel, it's been such a pleasure. Just a final question. Uh, to our viewers and listeners here, uh, what encourages you the most about the work that you do and archaeology in general? What what does this do for you personally? Um, well, I mean, you know, I, I definitely fit the description of a kid in a candy store. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. I I often just 
think I'm so grateful that, that God has uh, provided me to be able to do this. And I just, I just love it. If, if I could choose anything else to do, I wouldn't, I would, I would do exactly what I'm doing. Um, the, just the more that I do it, you know, honestly, I came over here 17 years ago and I thought it was going to be a, a big challenge. I thought I was, I was going to be studying, um, you know, under secular scholars. I thought it was going to be a big challenge to my faith. I came ready for that challenge and it hasn't been that at all, to be honest with you. Um, the arguments against uh, the Bible and its reliability are really on the level of ridiculous and uh, are not intimidating mm. in any way, shape, or form. And uh, and so, and so, just the more that I explore, the more that I look, the more in awe I am of of God and of the land of the Bible. And it's just like the Bible itself. You know, you can never master it. You can study it your whole life and learn and, and benefit from uh, from its profoundness. But the land of the Bible is 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 like that as well. You can never master it. Every time you uh, turn over a rock and get one answer, then it just leads to a hundred more that you don't know. And so it never gets old ever. And uh, it is it's just so powerful to live in the place that uh, that. Is just full of the evidence that shows the uniqueness of our Christian faith, how it is based on the historical record, and uh, and and that these are, that it talks about real people, real places, and real events, and uh, and that's powerful. And the people, the places, and events are well illustrated in Joel's work on his YouTube channel, Expedition Bible, and also his book, Where God Came Down, The Archaeological Evidence, Joel P. Kramer, K-R-A-M-E-R. If you haven't availed yourself of the YouTube channel or the book, you need to do so, friends. Joel, it's been a pleasure. I love the work you're doing. Keep it going. Hey, thank you. It's been my pleasure as well. Joel Kramer, ladies and gentlemen, check out his YouTube channel, Expedition Bible, a new video every month. It's great stuff. Share those with your friends. Joel does a wonderful job of pointing out the discoveries and also get the book Where God Came Down. And Lord willing, we'll be back here with you next week. God bless.